little boy that uh, come home from Sunday school. His mom said, what did you learn? The little fellow said, well, not enough, I guess. They want me to come back again next week. <laughs> Kids, I, I, I just love those stories. And uh, I keep watching. Uh, I seen uh, this last week, I guess it was, flipping through the televisions, found another show uh, talking about little kids and the things they do and the things they say. And it's always interesting. A teacher was telling a Sunday school class that uh, God made the trees and God made the vegetables that you eat and uh, God made the sunshine and God made the rain. She said, really, God makes everything. And one little girl said, "Uh uh-uh, he don't make my bed. (laughs) Kids. Yeah, they, they have a way of, of expressing things that's uh, delightful. I always appreciate them and appreciate all their uh, encouragement along the way. I want to share with you this morning uh, from the book of Mark, and uh, beginning in uh, Mark chapter number 7, verse 1 through 8. Then I want to jump down to verse 14 and 15. And uh, I want to talk about getting, uh, you know, to read our hearts as well as our lips of what we're saying. And I thought about this uh, yesterday when I was uh, over at the hospital, and Reuben said, uh, when I get out of here, the doctor said, I'm going to get out of here today. I'll be in church tomorrow. You see, when when it's in your heart, uh, there's lots of excuses for not being in church, you know. (laughs) And certainly uh, just getting out of the hospital might have been one. But here's a man that loves the Lord, loves the church, and wants to be a part of it. And uh, he's here this morning, and we're glad for that. Continue to pray for him. Uh, the heart rhythm's going to get back because now they've got him back on the medicine somebody took him off of. And so he's going to do a little better. But he does have a touch of some cancer on his ear, and he's concerned about that. And we need to pray that uh, when he goes and has that tested, that it'll be something they can take care of very quickly. Let me share with you from the seventh chapter of the book of Mark. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. They saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they gave their hands in a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they had come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observed many other traditions, such as washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of the eating of food with unclean hands? Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. Verse 14, and Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. 
Nothing outside of a man can make him unclean by going in to him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. The text verse that I want to center in on this morning is, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I, I've, I saw an interview of a young college student, that uh, kind of one of them crazy shows that uh, Fox News has, and had this goofy guy, he's not so much doing it as much as he did, but called it Water's World. Many of us have seen it. But he was interviewing college students on a college campus. And he was asking them about their belief, their religious belief. And one young lady that he came to said, well, I believe in God. I'm just not nuts about him. Well, you know what? I find that there's a lot of people that believe in God. They're just not nuts about him. In our generation, there are many of those even today. In fact, the Gallup poll describes such as this in America feel that 94% of the people in America taken in a toll said that they believed in God. But somehow they couldn't get it from here to here. Somewhere along the line, we've missed it along the way. And so when it comes to translating that belief into action, most clearly is that they are not nuts about God. If they would be, they would be here in this service today. You see, the problem is that we have something in common, I believe, in our generation with the Pharisees. We as a people today have somewhat, because Jesus summed it up in the words with the problem. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The Pharisees' religion was a primary external religion. A lot of people have an external religion today. When we look around and think about it, it was an external, it was a badge of accomplishment instead of the grace of God. How many people do you know today that live that way? It was a means of, of putting others down rather than building people up. And so many times, this is what we find today, when people don't go to church and they don't believe the Bible, they don't, they don't live by the Word, they say, well, I, they can name a hundred people that they know that believes this and has talked this, but they don't live it. You see, we judge one another so much. So I want to talk about some traditions that we have today. You see, as the Scripture kept saying over and over, they're holding the tradition, holding the tradition. And you know, that's what we find around the church today. There are so many people that just do things, not because their heart's in it, but because it's tradition. It's the thing that we do. Now, first of all, there's the traditionalists. These are the people who, who substitute tradition for biblical faith. They do it because it's a tradition. It's something that they've always done. You see, tradition is a law, a ceremony, a, a, a situation and that, you see, we have so much of this in the church today around the world that we don't need God anymore. We have our tradition. We know how to make it work. And so we find that that's what a lot of people end up doing. Henry Emerson tells about a church that they wondered through the years that every time they walked into the sanctuary of that church, they stopped at a certain spot and they knelt and they, for a few moments, and just thought or prayed and got up and went to their pew. Somebody began to ask, why do you do that? And they said, well, 
It's been that way ever since I came here. And so they continued on doing this over and over until finally they come to the place where they were going to remodel the church. And they begin to tear things down and begin to knock some of the plaster off the wall. And they found an image on the wall exactly in line where these people for three centuries had been kneeling every time they came to church. It was a tradition. You see, they didn't know why they did it. They just did it. You know, we find today it's silly, but tradition is a powerful thing. It really is. It's powerful. The Pharisees learned how to substitute tradition and customs and habits for the presence of God. Instead of praying for the presence of God, they just simply did what they've always been taught to do. Traditionalism rears its head in many ways, many times and in many places. I thought about, you know, years ago there was in, in the South, there was, a, uh, uh, there was a, uh, a bill that was introduced to the state legislator. And this bill that was introduced to that legislator, legislation group that, that for many years they wanted, instead of hanging people, they thought it would be more humane if they just bought an electric chair. Well, they began to talk about this in the legislator, and one of the legislators stood to his feet and demanded and said, I'm against electric chair. If hanging was good enough for my dad, it's good enough for me. Well, he's probably right. You know, you know, when we begin to think about that, tradition Do you know what tradition is? Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. And so no matter how you put it, that's exactly what it is. There is a sense in which we keep God at a distance through our tradition. We don't come into the presence of Him like we used to or like we ought to. We keep Him and other people as well at a distance. God has His place, but His place is only where I want Him to be and where I demand that He's going to be. And so many people come to church as traditionalism. This is a group of kin of traditionalism. might be uh, another group that I call secularist. And you know, these are the type of people, and this is a group that is made up of people that, and, and on the roles of most churches. Now, the secularist person is the person who, who believes in the church. I mean, they even bring their children and leave them for Sunday school while they go have breakfast. They believe in the church. They believe they want their children to be taught in Sunday school. They are the type that want to be buried and their families married or buried from that church. Those type of people are the people today that visit us at Christmas and at Easter and then wonder why we only sing the same songs all the time. You see, they only come twice a year. That's, that, that's the type of people they are. They are, not, they are not atheists. They're not agnostics. They like that co-ed young lady that says, I believe in God, but I'm just not nuts about Him. I'm not crazy enough to have to get up every day, every Sunday, and go to church. You see, but there are so so many people today that live that way. You know, the church has people in it that have really have so many bad hurts. And I find this within the church as I travel across the country. You see, it, it, in many times, they, they want to be identified with the church. They want to be identified at the time of their death. They want to be identified. They want in the obituary that they did go to the church of God. But they really didn't go that often. You see, they are the type of people today that lives in this world. I, I read back in the, 
in the 40s, you know, back there when after the creation of the state of Israel. And when they created the state of Israel, with all the chaos that had taken place, they were trying to bring that thing to, together in a right way. And so uh, there was a group of Quakers. See, th- this is the people that, 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 that they call themselves the International Fellowship of the Friends. And so they wanted to make sure that when they got a mayor for the city, uh, for the state of Israel, that they got somebody that could deal with all the problems that was going on through this transition. They needed the top caliber person to be the mayor. They needed someone that, with respect that had a reputation as a peacemaker. They wanted someone that, that, that you know, that could be able to, to co- communicate in, in a fair way with everybody. And they begin to look at the executive director of the Friends Group. And they looked at Clarence and they said as they looked at his life, they said, well, Clarence Pickett, the executive secretary, has all of the known traits. He's able to deal with people. He's able to deal with problems. Surely he would be the guy, but there had to be a volunteer. And so they begin to announce, and Clarence said, still, he never got up. And there were people all around that kept looking, kept whispering to one another, I don't know, the only guy I know would be Clarence. Clarence is the only one. Finally, one guy got brave enough to stand his feet and said, I want you to know I'm here today to tell you I believe that we ought to send Clarence. Well, you know what? I've heard that story, and I thought, you know, we have a lot of that in the church today. We have a lot of people when there's positions that are open and there's needs for teachers and needs for people to work within the church. Everybody wants to choose somebody else. But what about you standing up and doing it? You see, that's the problem that we had. The church has many people who want to stick their toe in. They just want to be a little bit committed to that church who will never really plunge in all the way for Jesus Christ. And that's the problem that we're facing today in the church world. I don't know whether you realize it or not, but we have a lot of people that believe in Jesus. We have a lot of people that want to claim the church. There's a lot of people that want to be a part of it when things are gone and somebody else is doing the job. But what about the commitment to me? What's my role? Where does God want to place me in the body of Christ? You see, the church is incomplete when there are people that are setting that have the opportunity, have the abilities, have the gift, that has the dedication to God, and yet they don't put themselves out there for God to be able to use. You see, what a, what a marvelous opportunity we have right here in this church. If the people that are sitting here this morning, not the ones that are not here, but the ones that are here, if every one of us would submit ourselves and commit ourselves to say, Lord Jesus, I'm here, I'm at your exposure, you tell me what's needed and I'm willing to do it. Just tell me, show me, gift me, provide what I need to do the job. I'm willing to take that responsibility. You see, I think as I look around the church, God Many people today that attend church have God on their lips, but He's not in their heart. It's really not in their heart. Oh, we talk about people that are sick. We talk about people, oh, poor Aunt Susie or poor Brother Joe or poor uh, Sister Alice. But you know what? They're over there suffering. They're alone. They're looking for help. They're looking for encouragement. And you're thinking about, and you're using your lips to say poor. But what about your heart? 
What about in your heart taking a moment from time to time to get on your face and say, God, today, I tell you, Sister Alice has been on my heart, and Lord, I just couldn't sleep. I don't have an appetite. I want you to do something special for her. You see, that's when our heart is in it. It's not what we say. It's what we do. You see, your heart has to motivate you. Then again, there's a third group, I think, that we need to acknowledge, and I call them the walking wounded. The walking wounded, you know who they are? They're the people who are in the fellowship of the church who have a deep hurt in their life. Somewhere along the line, some preacher's done something that's really hurt them. Or some Sunday school teacher said something that just didn't go down right with them. Or maybe it was somebody, a neighbor, maybe it was somebody that sat next to them in the church all the time, but they just didn't think they liked them, they cared about them. You see, they're living, they're walking as a wounded, hurting person. And they're trying to serve God. Even though the best moments in their life, they would like to go all the way with Christ, but the reason they won't is because of the hurt. I won't do it because of the hurt. I had experience of that in one of my pastors. Had some friends that lived next door to us, and you know we became real good friends. We were building the church, and we, we had to get rid of some stuff, and we bought a house right next across, right across the street from the church next door to them. Begin to talk with them, begin to share with them, begin to talk to them about their... They were going through some real problems and trying to get them to come to church. And you know what? They finally did. They should come. One day I come home, drove in the driveway, and John come on over and said, hey, Pastor, come here. Got, got some good news for you. I want to tell you something. He said, Laura and I went to church last Sunday. I didn't see him. Now, I was the guy that was working with him. They had gone downtown to some big old church. And they got down there in that church, and, and you know what? They started going. But you know what? I began to talk to them. They, they got a little discouraged with what they saw there, with some of the people that were there. And I began to try to get them involved. And you know what they said? The reason why they didn't come to the church of God. They had a daughter and a son. They had a son who was in business, who lived up in, up in Connecticut or someplace. Now he's gotten married and got three kids. But the reason they wouldn't come to the church of God, because when he was, Johnny was a little boy, he went down to junior church. And he did something they didn't like, and the teacher brought him up and slammed him down in the pew and said, until he can behave, don't you ever send him back to me again. And she said, I went out the door and made a determination I would never go to that church again. Now here her son is 30 years later. She's still carrying this hurt. A hurt that needs to be cured. A hurt that needs to be put under the blood of Christ. You see, there are thousands of people today that will tell you the reason they don't go to church and don't get overly involved in the church is because there's a hurt in their life. Let me tell you something. Jesus came to heal hurts. And there are people that live today that need to take care of those hurts. You see, this hurt stands as a barrier. Down deep in the recesses of the soul, they blame God for some tragedy that has happened. Maybe it was a church member, maybe a pastor, maybe a Sunday school teacher, maybe another member that disappointed them, but they stuck with it, and some of them are still there. They won't give it up. They said, I've always been here, and I'm not going to give up my place, but I ain't going to help them in any way either. Ever had those people? I thought about that. There are some, some things, some hurts that hold some people back. You know, New Orleans is, is a state that is known for celebrations. All you hear about is celebrations in 
New Orleans. But, but I read about one of the celebrations they were having. It was a pretty good celebration. They were celebrating that, that the city council had come together. They had said of all the pools they had in New Orleans, that summer, that was the first summer ever known that there was not a tragedy, it was not a drowning that had taken place. So they were going to celebrate it. Well, they had about 200 people there. A hundred of them was lifeguards. They were having a wonderful time. I mean, everything was there. The Kool-Aid, the sandwiches, every, you know, all the fried chicken, everything there. They were having a wonderful time until time for the breakup. When they went to break up the party of celebrating those drownings in the pools in New Orleans. The men that would begin to clean up the pools and get people out of the pools discovered at the deep end of the pool was a, a man in the bottom of that pool fully dressed in clothes. Thirty-one years old. Thirty-one, thirty-one-year-old man down in the bottom of that pool, Jeremy Mooney, drowned in the midst of the celebration of never having a drowning. A hundred, one hundred certified lifeguards, and yet he drowned. And I begin to think about that. When I read that, I wondered. I thought, man, that ought to preach to the church because, you know, right here where we are, certified lifeguards, certified musicians, certified pastors, certified teachers, certified board members, is there a possibility that there's somebody sitting in this building that is drowning this morning? What are we doing to save them? What are we doing to help them? What are we doing to try to lift the burden and the hurt from them? What are we doing to help them to know that no matter what you have done in life, no matter where you have been in life, no matter where you are now in life, that Jesus Christ came and died for you? And we need to share that message. When I read that, I begin to think about that. Someone who is hurting inside there come, there's a barrier between them and God. They just don't seem to be able to, to reach out. Oh, preacher, I'd like to know God. I'd like to get back in fellowship with God. But there's a hurt inside of me. Let me tell you something. Sometimes we need to come to the place to where we allow them to know. They may be sitting right here next to you today. What do you do if you belong to one of those three groups? What do you do if you happen to be a part of that group? What do you do to get God in your heart? What do you do to get God from your lips and from your mind into your heart? See, there's a difference. When I started preaching, I can remember I worked, uh, I worked in B.F. Goodrich for about a year. Up in Akron, Ohio, right after Beverly and I were married. And I had this fellow that knew that I was a preacher, and he was a salesman. He 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 was a salesman for B.F. Goodrich, and a nice little guy. I mean, real nice guy. But but every noon he'd go out. They'd say, "Well, he won't come back. He he's going to a local bar. He's going to get drunk." And I got to watching this fellow, and sure enough, he'd come back. Sometime when he'd get back from lunch, he'd take about three hour lunch. When he'd come back, he'd just wrench with the alcohol. And you know what? In the mornings, you could hardly talk to him. He didn't have much to say. But after he had that alcohol in him, you couldn't shut him up. I mean, he just talked, 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 talked. He knew I was a preacher, so he talked, talked, talked. Bible. And I began to talk to him and share with him about, you know, you know the Word. Why do you do what you do? In fact, some of the books that I had in my library for years, my son now has, 
They came from him. He gave them to me. He would biblical books. He could name, I'm telling you, he could name every book in the Bible. Somebody would call out a scripture and he could tell you where it was found. He'd tell you all about it. But you see, he had it in his lips, but he didn't have it in his heart. There's a difference. There's a difference, my friend, from knowing the Word and and believing it and trusting that it can control us. It can come into our hearts and our lives. And so when I begin to think about this, this man who lived that kind of life, I thought, you know, I know lots of people like that. But what do you do when you belong to one of these groups? I think there's three things that are essential. I'm going to move quickly this morning, but I'm going to tell you something. First of all, you need to face the fact that you need your need, my friend, and people in this world need to know that we are on fire for Christ. We need to have Christ. You can't be on fire for Christ unless He's in your heart. All the words in the world, my friend. In fact, the Revelation talks about that very thing. And that's what John was writing about, even to the church. He was talking to the church. He wasn't talking to the world. In Revelation, he was saying to the angel, he said, I see your works. They are neither hot or cold. I wish that you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. Wow. Why so harsh? Why so harsh? I I thought about this. It's because change in this world is only made by people who have a change of heart, who have God in their hearts. That's the only people that will ever change this world. You know, the publisher of Lloyd, Lloyd Garrison was, a, was a, a, a newspaper publisher back during the time of all the, all the difficulty with slavery. And he would publish articles of the insane things that people were doing to slaves. And he wrote an article and got so excited and so on fire that people began to say, and one of his friends finally came to him and he said, uh, Sam May said, you need to calm down, Garrison. Why, you're going to, you, you got yourself so much on fire, you're going to burn everybody next to you. And he said, man, how can you cool, cool down when there's so much ice around us? And I thought about that. That's true in the church. Sometimes, my friend, the ice around us, the people that don't believe the Bible anymore, the people that just know that it's there, but they don't sense it, they don't feel it. Let me tell you something. There is something about having Christ in your heart that makes you feel different. Now, y'all won't be big mouths like me and may do it the way I do, but we all have a way of expressing what God does in our hearts and our lives. I'm going to tell you something. I believe today the only way the church... And any of us can melt the mountains of ice around us is to be on fire for God. It's to be on fire for God. I, I appreciate uh, Lisa's announcement see, for these young people because you know what? When you're on fire for God, let me tell you something, young people. At 15 years old, I got on fire for God. Everywhere I went, people would ask me. They say, "Well, can, can you come and preach for us?" And you know that's like saying, "Dig him to a hound dog." Absolutely, I can. Absolutely, I would go anywhere, everywhere. We were talking last night with my daughter and grandson. He got himself a car and he wanted us to show it. So we went out to get a sandwich. We're telling stories, and I was telling a story about I went to preach. My wife, that time she was just my girlfriend. Still my girlfriend, but, but you know, we weren't married at that time. And so she knew this little church over here in, uh, at a Barberton that sat back 
kind of out of the way. And just a little old church, maybe around 40 people or so and, uh, on a good day. And they, they were having a youth meeting. Well, no, if I'd come over there and preach. Well, yeah, I'd come over and preach. So I went over, and the, and the preacher was all excited about me coming. You know, ahead of us, I don't know, 25, 30 kids there. Man, I just I was able to preach. I was able to do my thing, you know. And I was all excited. You know, we had a great service, a great time together. And we were getting ready to leave. Everybody's just visiting around. And we got outside of the church. Now the preacher during the service said, "Now, now it comes offering time." He said, "No, we want to give brother, we want to give this brother something for his preaching tonight." So, so you kids, you know, you dig down. Well, they're just teenagers. So we got outside the door and got almost to the parking lot. He said, "Oh man," he said, "I forgot about your offering back there." He said, "I got to open that door, go back in." I set an offering plate back there, and he pulled it out. It was thirty-eight cents. I wish he'd have just left it in there. 38 cents. But you know what? It didn't make any difference. We loved the Lord and we shared the gospel and the kids enjoyed what took place that night. Let me tell you something. When your heart's in it, that's what's important. When you got that burning in your heart, you see the only way that we can melt the mountains of ice around this church is to be on fire for God. There's mountains of ice around us. There are people that got shields up. There are people that you don't dare talk to. At least that's what the devil makes you believe. But let me tell you something. They are cold and they are hurting and they're in need and they want somebody that will love them, that will throw a blanket around them, that will hold them and melt away that shield so that they can be reached for God. You've got to get God from our lips to our heart. Nothing is accomplished in this world by people who have no passion. You've got to have a passion. That's one reason we need God in our hearts as well as on our lips. There's a second thing. Not only do we need that, but we we also need uh, to admit sometimes that we're living half-heartedly. We're not really living up to what we know we could. We remember the good old days, you know. You know, and, and I used to hear that all the time from older people until I got there. And then I find myself doing the same thing. The good old days. The good old days way back there, you know. But let me tell you something. When I begin to think about those, did you ever get bored with life? I, I don't, I don't, I guess, of course, maybe I don't want to remember, but I don't remember being bored. I, I just... I just had so many things gone all the time. I had to do so many things. You know, being a boy raised on a farm, you, you had chores to do before you do anything else. So I don't remember being bored that much. But, but, but you know what? I find that, that there are people bored today. And the reason I, I, I think about this, you know, you all got remote television things in your house. You know, you got that little thing in your hand. And, and you know, I, I, I see people that sit in their house and they got that thing in their hand, and a lot of times, you know, it's men. <laughs> you come in, you guys, after all work, and you sit down for that television, and you got that remote in your hand, and you go through 30, 31 channels in an hour, and you're still bored. Because there ain't nothing worth watching. There's nothing there. You know what I'm talking about. You're just bored. There's just nothing there. There's nothing exciting about it. There's nothing to watch. There's nothing to hear. And I begin to think about that thing, you know. You know, are you bored? Are you bored with life? Do you sometimes feel that there's, there's just got to be more to life than, than this crazy thing in my hand? 
There's got to be more for me to do in life than, than just watch these things that are showing on this television screen. Let me tell you something, there is. And that's Jesus. When you've got Jesus in your heart, you're not going to get bored. Because I'm going to tell you something, Jesus will always find something for you to do or something for you to think about or something for you to say. And so when you've got Jesus in your hearts, it makes all the difference in the world. It makes all the difference in the world if your heart is in what you're doing. I'm, you know, I, I realize, you know, I'm getting older, but my heart's in the church. And I want to see so many things happen. I want to see people. I, I, don't, I want to see the saints come. I want them to be a part. I want them to sing and enjoy the worship service and listen to the preaching. But you know what? I want us to be able to see those on the outside that don't know the joy that we have, don't understand why we're here. You know what? We, we need somehow, we need, to, you know, we need to have that in our hearts. And a lot of church folk are trying to live their lives with nothing in their hearts. They're trying to live their life with nothing in their heart. Oh, they've got it on their lips. They've, they've read it in the book. They've heard it said by other people in the church. But they have Christ on their lips. But He's never made the journey from here to here. And that's what's needed more than anything today. We need to have Christ in our hearts. It needs to come down, my friend. That's why people are bored. How do you move Christ from your lips to your heart? I tell you how you do it. You'd simply do it by responding to God's call and invitation. When God speaks to you through reading the Word, through your time of prayer and devotional time, through the time of the singing and the song, through the time when the preaching Word is gone, and when we come to the end and God says, now what are you going to do with what you've been given? You see, we need to respond to that invitation. You know, that kind of bothers me a little bit. I can remember days of growing up when the altars would lie and sometimes and the singing would keep going and going and going. Sometimes they'd spend more time at the end of the service singing the invitations and praying with people at the altar than they did in preaching. And today we do the opposite. It's, many people are scared. They don't understand what this is for. Let me tell you what this bench is for. This morning bench here is a place where you can come and lay out everything and ask God to empower your life and to move what you've heard and what you've said down into your heart and make it become a reality. For 30 years, Mother Teresa worked in the slums of Calcutta, India. I've read about her life. She has worked with the most forsaken people in the world. People that you and I would never even reach our hand to. People that you and I would cross the street to stay away from. They were drowned trodden. They were diseased. They were desperate. And yet everybody that meets Mother Teresa remarks about her warmth and her smile. Somebody asked her one time, what is it that makes you have that desire to want to reach out to those people. What is it that makes you always have that warm smile that draws them to you? She made a statement that I thought was real. She said, when I was a young girl at 18, God had called me to become a missionary to Calcutta. When I left my home, my mother said to me, 
When you go, you go to those people holding the hand of Jesus. As long as you have Jesus in your hand and holding your hand where you walk with Him, He will always bless you and He will always be with you. And I begin to think about that. You know, maybe that's the reason why many people today don't have a smile on their face. Maybe that's the reason why many people are downtrodden. Maybe that's the reason why many people can never see any hope. Let me tell you how you can turn it around. Take the hand of Jesus. When you take the hand of Jesus, it's marvelous of what He can do. I mean, it's it's so wonderful. I I think about it. I've seen people, they get saved, that were unsavable as far as society was concerned. People say, how did you get them to do that? I ain't getting to do nothing. Jesus took them as they were and forgave them. When I see somebody that gets healed, it's nothing to do with we're just being obedient to the Word of God. It's Jesus that does it. You know why things don't happen today? It's because we left Jesus back at church. We left Jesus back in the, in the closet. We left Jesus back in our office. My friend, instead of saying, with Christ I can do all things. You know, it's easy to say that. But it's hard when you get down in Calcutta. It's hard when you get down there with the filth and the, and the disease and, and those that are the terrible, the most terrible, terrible, to be able to say, I, I'm, I'm going to help these folks. I'm going to help. You know what? With Jesus, all things are possible. My friend, today, I think what the church needs more than anything else is be able to move Jesus from our lips to our hearts. The world desperately needs people who are on fire for Christ. They desperately need people who are on fire for Christ. I mean people, half-hearted living is emptiness. Half-hearted living is discouragement. Half-hearted living is despair. And so I say to you today, why not, why not today make a new start? Why not today say, I'm going to take the hand of Jesus. I'm going to quit talking the talk and begin living the life. I'm going to start today in, in sharing the love of Christ in my heart with my neighbor that needs it, with my children that needs it, with my parents that needs it, with those that I meet that needs Christ. You see, we've got to come to the place, if we don't have Christ in our hearts, the whole life is going to fall in despair. But because we sang that song, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. You know why? Because I know, I know. He's living in me, and He holds the future. Is Christ in your heart today? Are you happy today? If you, can you still have that smile? Genuine smile. Not a photographer's smile. I got some grandkids. The only time that one little fellow ever smiles when the photographer says, hey, you got to say cheese, you got to say something. He could even say cheese without smiling. You know what? We need to have that realness about us. And when you do, people will know 
They'll know you have love for them. They'll know you care about them. But today, you need to have a heart that is filled with Jesus. And today is a day that you can start brand new and saying, I want Jesus to take control of all of my life. I want him to live within me. And I want to begin it right here today. And we're going to give you that opportunity. Let's stand. Father, this morning, you know the hearts and the lives of everybody set here. Father, we don't come today condemning anyone. We come helping them to know that there is a better way of life, and that life is knowing that Jesus Christ is living within our hearts. Father, today, for that one that is hurting, that one that's discouraged, that one that never has known you, we pray that this would be the day that they would respond to that call. Lord, they would just simply come and say, Lord, I need you. And I want you to take total control of my life. Come into my heart and my life this day. And Father, I know that you will not turn them away. You'll do exactly what they ask for if they'll respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you come as we sing?